How's everybody doing today? About four people are doing good. Okay, that's not bad. That's not bad. I know it's early still. It's, that's fine. But I want to welcome all of you here today. I'm excited to be here today. I also want to welcome uh, my LaGrange campus and all of you watching online. We are so excited you are joining us here today. Uh, we are in week three of our series, Love God, Love Others. And, and today I want to talk with you about loving the unlovable. And I uh, I want to start off, though, by telling you I love Doritos. Um, it's very important you to understand I love Doritos. Um, I, I, I'm a bit of a purist, though. I love nacho cheese Doritos. I, I know there are other flavors, but they're just not the same. They're, they're not Doritos. And so I, I love Doritos. Um, the problem is my wife, Angie, doesn't like it when I eat Doritos. And it's not because I get the orange nacho cheese that gets on your fingers all over the place. Apparently, I am a loud Doritos eater. Uh, when I eat Doritos, it's very noisy, apparently, and um, it drives her absolutely crazy. The sound of that crunching, uh, just, it, she just has to leave the room. It's just too much for her. Um, at, at first, she thought it was just a newlywed thing. You know, hey, we're newly married. That bothers me. Surely, over time, I'll get used to it. No, no. She, she still cannot stand it when I eat Doritos. Um, but don't feel too bad for her because she has uh, some of those quirks herself. Every Valentine's Day and Christmas, her parents buy her these chocolate-covered cherries. Now, now, these are not the ones that have the white cream center. These are ones that have a red syrup center. They're her absolute favorite. She just loves these cherries. But she has a very peculiar way of eating these cherries. She, she takes a little bite out of the corner, and then she proceeds to slurp the syrup out of the cherry. And then she'll eat the rest of it. That slurping noise drives me insane. And being my wife, she knows it. And so she does it slower and louder. And she'll kind of look at me sometimes with that little grin too. And then she'll just, you know, and it's just like, no, you know, stop. And so um, what we've found is, you know, no matter how much you love someone, there's these things about them that just actually drive you crazy sometimes. Um, I don't know if any of you have, uh, as we speak of food, have ever taught a toddler how to feed themselves with a spoon. Um, but it usually goes something like this. Um, you get the food all set out, and then you embark on a about two-hour journey, um, which entails the toddler getting food in their hair, in their ears, uh, on the wall, on the floor, uh, on you, pretty much everywhere but in their mouth. And then after you've done giving them enough food after two hours, then you begin the two-hour process of stripping the baby down, washing them, and then cleaning up half of your kitchen. That food is now all over, just in enough time to get ready for dinner and do it all over again. You know, my children did that to me, and I'm glad we were past those days, but there are still things my children do that make it hard for me to love them sometimes. It's probably hard, not hard for you to think of a difficult person in your life. As we talk about this, names of people will just pop in your head of someone who's difficult in your life. Now, in our broken, sin-filled world, this, this is not a, an amazing thing that we should come across that. It's, they're everywhere. Um, you know, but we can all be difficult to love at times. Uh, think about your coworker, the one who is trying to get ahead so much that they, they even take credit for the ideas that are yours. Or, or the in-laws who are always uh, peering over your shoulder, critiquing everything that you do and your parenting skills and offering suggestions for improving those. 
The child who knows exactly how to push your buttons to leave you exasperated and flustered again. Or the passive-aggressive friend who is kind to you one moment and the complete she ignores you the next moment. The list can go on and on. But God knew there would be unlovable people in our lives. But that doesn't give us an excuse not to love them. Jesus actually tells us in the book of Luke, starting chapter 6, verse 32, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. You see, when we love people who are like us and are easy to love, we're not fulfilling the gospel that God's called us to. Jesus goes on then to issue a challenge to his followers. And I believe this challenge is a a challenge that applies to us today as well. He says in verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. You see, it's much, much easier for us to act like a Christian than it is for us to react like a Christian. See, we can, we can all play a part pretty good. We can all act well. But reactions are much harder to fake. And so much of Christ's teaching then focuses on reconditioning our reflexes. It's not enough for us to love people that are easy to love. We are called to love those who are hard to love. We must love those who even hate us. So we're in this series, middle of this series, like I said, love God, love others. And love is very important to God. We actually see that in Matthew 22 as he's talking to a Pharisee who asks him, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, uh, he says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, the book of Genesis roots human history in a bloody battle of revenge, violence, and an inexplicable divine intervention. You see, life after the fall is vividly portrayed in Genesis telling the story of Cain and Abel. Early in the service, we we heard that story. And as you know, Adam and Eve were their parents. And, And I find it very interesting that Genesis lays out the first two sins back to back. The first sin was a sin against God when Adam and Eve disobeyed him and ate the fruit. And the second sin was against another when Cain killed his brother Abel. That's why I think love God, love others is so important because those first two sins were counter that. And so as we, we go about looking into this, We'll see that in this story, God tells of his pursuit of Cain and brings light to the fulfillment of the love that he has for Cain. You see, because love overcomes sin. Now, the character of God is to love the unlovable people. And and all of us have been unlovable people. Uh, His love makes all love possible. He says we love because he first loved us. The more you love God the more you embrace the love that he has for you and the grace that he bestows upon you in your life, 
the more capacity you will have to love other people and show grace to other people as well. And that's why it's so important that we learn how to love the unlovable. But sometimes we have the completely wrong definition of love. It isn't just feeling good towards someone or something. It isn't the love we feel for for food or places. Christian love, while not being devoid of emotion, is an active love. It requires us to take action, evidenced in how we treat other people. See, true love takes courage and it takes vulnerability. True love gives rather than takes. We can find our definition of love in the classic Bible chapel, chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, where we are given the great depiction of love. Let me read it to you. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. All of this stems from action and not from our feelings. If we try to love people out of our feelings, that love will become very inconsistent. Because feelings change and people do things that frustrate us and offend us. When we love out of action and have the mindset that giving is better than receiving, we will love selflessly and we will also love well. You see, our our faith does not allow us to say, because I just don't love you anymore, we can no longer be in relationship. Rather, Christian love means we act as a Christian toward all people, even when our feelings aren't really there. You may have noticed that I love historical stories, especially when I preach. I love to give a, something historical to you guys. And um, you see, when I was in college, I majored in chemistry, but I had a strong emphasis in European history. And you may be asking yourself, now, what is a strong emphasis? I, I haven't heard of that before. Well, allow me to explain what a strong emphasis is. Um, when I was in college, there were parts of college that were very important to me, very important that I understood them, excelled at them. Um, frisbee and stickball, those were things that were very, very important to me. And so I would alter my class schedule around those good afternoon times when you could go play frisbee or, or catch a good game of stickball. And if you don't know what stickball is, it's a, a broom handle and a tennis ball. And it, it's a game that you play and you hit the side of a building and you get points for how many stories up you hit the building. And uh, it's very complicated. And again, as a college player, you can understand the importance uh, of, of doing that. On occasion, I was even known to, to miss a class um, to go, or maybe not so much on a rare occasion. It was a little bit more frequently. I would miss class to, to go participate in a, in, a, in a game of Frisbee or, or stickball. And uh, that eventually caught up with me. And uh, my senior year, I found myself lacking uh, one class to get my history minor. So I have a strong emphasis. Um, I'm almost there, four-fifths of the way there. So uh, that's what that means. But I, I love history. And so allow me to share a story with you out of history. Uh, this story happened a long time ago uh, and actually in a galaxy far, far away. Um, there was a, a young man by the name of Anakin Skywalker and uh, his mother and he were slaves to, to a junk trader. And uh, Anakin was rescued 
from a life of slavery, but, but his mother was not. She, she remained a slave. And, and this separation created seeds of anxiety and fear in this young boy. Vowing to one day return and rescue his mother, the young Skywalker left the planet. As he grew and trained the ways of, uh, of the Jedi, Anakin would often have nightmares about his mother. And, and these nightmares strengthened his fear and his resolve to, to one day return home and rescue his mother. Uh, finally, he, he travels home and, and goes to rescue his mother only to find out that she had been freed and actually remarried. So, so traveling to her home, he arrives and he's devastated to learn that she was recently kidnapped by sand people. And um, not just normal people, they're, they're sand people. Um, they're not made out of sand, but they just live in the desert. So they're, they're called sand people. So uh, it's complicated. Um, you ask your children, they can probably tell you about it. Um, so he, he, he determines he's going to go and rescue his mother from his tormentors. But as he arrives and finds her, she dies in his arms. This enrages Anakin. And he goes out and he slaughters all of the sand people, men, women, and children. You see, he allows evil and hatred to control him. And this is the beginning of the end of Anakin Skywalker. And the seeds of Darth Vader are planted. Now, through a series of events in his life, Anakin has turned to trust his enemies. And his new enemies are now his old friends. This hatred ends up destroying everything he has ever loved. He becomes the most feared man in the universe. And how do you ever love someone like Darth Vader? Now, I believe we can find a parallel in the story of Cain and Abel. You see, Cain just didn't one day decide to kill his brother for the fun of it. As a matter of fact, we know there were small choices that caused him to grow in his sin. Small choice after small choice. Remember what God told Cain in Genesis 4, 7. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. You see, God wants what is best for us, but he leaves us the ability to choose. But what we often forget is that every choice we make is taking us in one of two directions. Either it's a choice that draws us closer to God or it's a choice that separates us and takes us further away from God. We're always moving in one of those two directions. But what is amazing about God is that our choices, whether good or bad, does not alter the love that he has for us. You see, he's saddened by our bad choices, but his love for us does not change. And we see that even here in the story of Cain. So often when we look at this story, we think of it as the the murder or the sacrifice, and we get caught up in details that don't matter. What matters is right here. You see, God punishes Cain. He curses the ground that he farms, and and he sends him away. Cain is broken by this. He says, this, this punishment you're giving me is too much. It's more than I can bear. You're taking away from my home. You're making it hard for me to live. You're separating me from everything. And he goes, and when people find me, they're going to want to kill me because of what I have done. But God responds in verse 15, 15. He says, not so. 
If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. You see, Cain deserved death. However, God in his love not only granted him life, but also granted him protection. Every, everyone knew not to mess with Cain. Now, remember that guy, Darth Vader, we talked about a few minutes ago? Everyone wanted him dead too. When you're the most feared man in the galaxy, people just hate you. They despise you. Everyone that is, but his son, Luke. Now, even though Darth Vader cuts off his own son's arm, his hand, Luke still loved the unlovable. He, he knew that there were still good inside of him. To the point where he even put himself in harm's way to prove that his father was still good. And you know what? In the end, Luke was right. His father killed his boss, the evil emperor, and allowed peace to reign in the galaxy. You see, love wins again. And love overcomes sin. Now again, our ability to love the unlovable is pretty limited. It's usually circumstantial based on how we're being treated, how our day is going, how we feel about the other person, how they've treated us. But with God's help, we're able to love others the way that Jesus loved people. And so today I, I want to quickly give you five ways to love someone who's hard to love. The first is this, pray often. First uh, Thessalonians five sixteen through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Every morning, ask God to help you see people through his eyes. Ask God to soften your heart towards this person, to put off anger and irritability, to put on meekness and kindness. You see, he created each one of us. And it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. When we start to see people the way God sees people, we will begin to treat people the way that God treats people. Let me say that again. When we see people the way God sees people, we'll begin to treat people the way that God treats people. If you're really struggling with one person in particular, commit to praying for them every single day. And, and let me rephrase this. Commit to pray for their benefit for them every single day. Don't pray that God strikes them with lightning today or they get hit by a car today. That's not the kind of prayer I'm talking about. Pray for God to move in their life. Pray for God to, to reveal himself to them. If they don't know him, that they would come to know him. Pray for God that they have great days. It's nearly impossible to hate someone if we're constantly asking God to move in their life. So pray often for people you can't stand. I just, that's what it is, right? I mean, just pray often for them. Second thing we need to do is humble ourselves. You need to humble yourself. Romans 12, 3 for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment 
each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. None of us is perfect. I'm not perfect. That may come as a shock to some of you, but not to my wife and kids. I, I am not perfect. None of us are. And we can be hard to love. You might not even realize that you can be a thorn in the side of someone you know. You can be that unlovable person in their life. So don't be oblivious to your own shortcomings and sin. Think of how you would want to be treated in this situation and treat the person the same way. We can all be hard to love sometimes, but I found that people usually need love the most when they deserve love the least. And it's in those moments where persecution becomes a catalyst for prayer, where hatred inspires love. So humble yourself. The third thing we can do is to learn their story. Colossians 3, 12 through 13 says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We are often quick to judge and quick to blame. Instead of taking the time to understand the backgrounds and how people's past affect who they are today. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, don't judge a man by where he is because you don't know how far he has come. So when we take the time to learn someone else's story, when we, we look at that person in our life who's unlovable, who, who's hard to love, and we say, hey, tell me about your life. Tell me about what's going on. Share that story with me. Two very interesting things begin to happen. The first is we begin to understand why they're feeling the way they are. We begin to understand why they're, they're acting out the way they are. The second thing that happens, and I think that sometimes this is even more significant, is we begin to find similarities in their story and ours. We begin to relate to them on a whole other level. If you remember Darth Vader and Luke, for a while, he didn't know he was his dad. And when he found out more about Darth Vader's story, that he was his father, it changed his perspective. It changed how he felt about him. And it spurred him on to something greater, to love him. So we must learn other people's stories. Fourth, we must forgive often. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I know it is hard to forgive people who have hurt us, but not forgiving someone causes us to become bitter and angry and does nothing to the other person. We cannot love anyone from a place of unforgiveness. It's impossible. So make a choice to forgive people and experience the freedom and peace that comes from God when we live in forgiveness. And finally, we need to set healthy boundaries. Proverbs thirteen twenty: whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You know, Jesus healed a lot of people, but he was only close to about 12. You see, loving someone doesn't mean you have to become that person's best friend. 
That, that hard to love person, you don't have to become their best friend. You just have to love them. We can love the most difficult people by being kind, meeting their needs, and showing them respect. Jesus said that people will know we are his followers by the way we love. And the ability to forgive anything and love anyone is a uniquely Christian characteristic. Loving people who don't love us back can be thankless at times. But we have a Savior who can relate to that. You see, Jesus loved us before we knew who he was, or before we even knew that we needed a relationship with him. Because the people in our lives and our almighty God never give up on us when we are unlovable. You see, we can pay it forward and learn to love others well. And one day, those hard-to-love people in our lives will be able to love unlovable people because of the love they have seen in you. Just imagine the impact that Southcrest could have in the community if we learn to love the unlovable. And to do that, it starts right here, right here in the church. You see, building each other up is a secret to becoming a loving church. It's not enough as we look around this room that we just accept people who are different than us, that we just tolerate people who are different than us. We need to actively build each other up. You see, Satan would love to destroy our church. He would love to take one group of people and put them up against another group of people and start fighting within these walls. It's one of Satan's favorite things to do. Tear a church down, you don't tear it down from the outside. You tear it down from within. So we should make building each other up our goal. I think you would agree with me when I say life is tough and there are enough discouraging people in the world. So we should be a place of encouragers. We need a band. No, we need an army. We need a church of people who encourage one another, who build each other up. And yes, they may be obnoxious. And yes, they may be immature. And yes, they may be disagreeable. But remember, Christ died for them. When you start to get upset with someone, doesn't matter who it is. When you get upset with that person, remember that Christ died for them. Today, you might be in this room and you might be feeling that the unlovable person is you. That you're someone who's hard to love and you're longing for someone just to, to show you some kind of love or kindness. Or maybe you're sitting here today and you think you're unforgivable. You're sitting in this seat saying, if, you only, if these people only knew what I've done, they would never talk to me. If these people had a clue of who I am, they would want nothing to do with me. I want you to hear this today. There is nothing, nothing you can do to make God love you more. You can never be good enough better to make God love you more. 
But on the other side of that coin, there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Whatever that is that you think can't be forgiven, it already was. God loves you. You see, his love doesn't change for us. He created us. And he loves us in spite of ourselves. So much that he sent his son, his one and only son, to stand in our place and take the punishment in our place. You see, God wants you to know him. And not just know who he is, but to have a relationship with him. He wants to forgive you. He wants to love you when none others will.